your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast presented by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Well, we're 37 days away from the NHL draft and the guys over at Elite Prospects just put out their inaugural draft guide there is like 600 pages of game reports comparisons you name it they got it so we got their editor-in-chief jd burke on today we're releasing part one of a two-part interview and then we'll get into the handshakes that weren't last night philadelphia and vancouver staving off elimination we'll see if colorado can continue that trend tonight and then with the khl getting underway we talk about a senator that may have almost been loaned. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day. Today is Wednesday, September 2nd, and Big Game Brass was at it again last night, Pilsy. What a goal for Big Game Brass, and Brassard, he had the lowest amount of ice time of all for, all forwards, any player on the New York Islanders, and he comes up big in a big moment. And I love what Barry Trotz did here. Everyone has high, high praise for the Sezikas, Martin, and Clutterbuck line, right? They're one of the best fourth lines in hockey. What did Trotz do in that situation? He said, I want that same energy, but I want to insert a little more skill in that line. So he swapped out Matt Martin for Derek Broussard, and it paid off big time. They tied it up with, I think it was in the in the last minute or so. And that play doesn't happen, though, Ross, without the hard work of Cal Clutterbuck. Like, he was battling along the boards. He won that puck battle. And then what a weird move to do, like, a spinorama uh, kind of backwards pass right before cutting around the net. But worked out great for them, and they tied it up. Yeah, it didn't finish great for them as Philly did manage to get the victory in overtime. But shades of Game 5 against the New York Rangers in 2017 with Big Game Brass tying it up late. Man, it seems like everything Trotz has done this postseason has been turning to gold. Like, even starting Grice. And then Grice comes in and gave them a great effort in the in their last game. So, um, man, credit to the Islanders still, even though they weren't able to pull it off. And in the other side of things, if you're the Flyers, are you confident now that your big guys got rolling? You had three players, JVR, Giroux, who we've been hard on on this show, and then Maddie Niskanen, all three of them with their first goal of the postseason. Ross, I think it's official that Claude Giroux is a listener of the Locked On Centers podcast. Because if you remember last episode, you asked me, what does Claude Giroux need to do to score? And I said, keep it simple. And the way most goals have been scored in this playoff series, tips. And what does he do? He's skating along the slot and he gets a nice tip on, uh, was it a Provorov shot? I forget who shot it, but... A nice tip on that high wrist shot from the point, and he gets his first. And then JVR gets his first, too. Jeez, that, he's lucky he got that. Like, that was a two-on-one. He had a wide-open net, and he shot it pretty much right at Varlamov. Luckily, it deflected in after that, but 
that's got to feel so good for JVR and Claude Giroux. And JVR was jumping up and down after he got that. He needed to get that monkey off his back. So good on the Flyers staying alive here. Yeah, it was Provorov assisting on Scott Lawton's overtime winner. And on Claude Giroux's goal, Philippe Myers with mm. the assist. And Giroux, his first goal in what was it? I think it was. Tw- it ended up being 14 playoff games. But it was his f- uh, second goal in his last 26 postseason games. So the Flyers captain... Getting off the schneid there. Uh, Out west, man, the storyline going in. And we spoke about it yesterday that only three goalies in the postseason had played or started, rather, every game for their team. Well, only one of those teams was still alive, and that was Vancouver. And now it's no team because Thatcher Demko went in. Markstrom did not dress. The parent injury is his groin, uh, although that isn't confirmed. He's unfit to play. We know that much. Louis Domingue backed up. But Thatcher Demko, this 24-year-old, he's been a top prospect for years now, but he is officially on the scene. And what a way to have your NHL playoff debut go, Ross, making 42 saves in a 2-1 win where you staved off elimination against one of the best teams in the league. How are you doing there? The goal he let in, nobody's stopping that Shea Theodore rush. Is that one of the best goals we've seen this postseason, too? That was so nice. Uh, We talked about it off-air yesterday, Ross. I've been so impressed with Shea Theodore and the contract that the Vegas Golden Knights have him on. I think it's like $5.2 million for the next five years. What a steal there. Yeah, it's an unbelievable steal. Stonesy with the assist is ninth. Uh, point of the postseason but man and you saw Stone's face because he was net front when Shea Theodore made that move and his eyes lit up like whoa what did I just see the toe drag the bringing it back to the forehand and the quick release going upstairs as well it was man just a, a thing of beauty and that's not to take away the two Vancouver goals were both pretty nice as well uh, Elias Patterson working his magic to get the game winner 319 into the third period but this you mentioned the amount of saves that um at 42 that Thatcher Demko had well 18 of those shots came in the second period he did let in the one goal in that period but the play was so tilted Vancouver only had four shots like the puck barely left their zone and they were able to leave that period tied at one so that being uh included in it like should Vancouver be be worried here? Like they didn't hit double digits in any of the periods. And I don't think it's fair to expect Temko to let in one or less again next game. What does Vancouver need to do to make this go uh, even further on into a game six? Well, absolutely. They should be worried like that when you're going up against a team that's as good as the Golden Knights and you're not mustering at least or 10 shots a period, at least one of those periods, you're going to be in big trouble. But Luckily, they've got the guys uh, that can make something happen quickly. You don't need an abundance of shots when you've got high-skilled guys like Elias Pedersen, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat. How about JT Miller assisting on uh, the last six Canuck goals he's got a point on? That trade's looking better and better every day for the Canucks. If you're the Canucks, you you got to make do with the little chances you get. You know, it's kind of like that old saying, you got to make hay while the sun is shining. They're not going to get a lot of opportunities to get in this Vegas zone because the Vegas uh, offense is just so strong. It's kind of like offense 
is your best defense. They always have the puck. They're always possessing the puck, so it's hard. So when Vancouver does get a chance, you got to really try to make something happen because you know that you're not going to get a whole lot of chances. And even if you do get a chance, you got to beat one of the best goalies playing right now in Robin Leonard. So it's going to be really, really tough for Vancouver to win these next two games. Well, yeah, going into game six, both Vancouver and Philly still down 3-2. Colorado staved off from 3-1, so they're also in the same boat as those teams. And what do you think going into their matchup tonight against Dallas? As we're recording here, it's not even 10 a.m., so uh, still plenty of time before puck drop. There has to be a decision made, and you think it's an easy one. Who starts in goal for Dallas? Hudobin. Like, it's it's Hudobin easily, and... This is tough because Bishop's their guy. Like, he's one of the best goalies in the league when he's healthy and on his game. But I don't think he is healthy and on his game. Well, he's definitely not on his game. And that's just from sitting out and being cold for too long. Getting thrown into a playoff game like that against the Colorado Avalanche after you missed, I think it was the last eight games or something. Like, damn, that's a tough challenge. So it's not really fair to on Bishop to kind of hold that against him. And Hudobin's been playing amazing. That's the reason the Stars went out and got that guy because he's one of the best backups in the entire league and you need a guy like that. And I think the Dallas Stars are confident with him in net. The one thing they have to do, they cannot let the Avalanche get off to a good start like that. Like 5 nothing in the first period, they need a better uh, start than that. And Rick Bonus has got to have those guys firing out of the gates uh, come game six because Colorado knows they're up against the wall here. Okay, yeah, I'm sure that uh, Rick Bonus is writing down in his notepad, don't go down 5 nothing in the first You heard period. it here first in the Locked On Centers podcast. Yeah, well, when you are attacking as much as the Dallas Stars have been in at least the start of the series until last game, you have to recoup. And what better way to do that than with a Bilt Bar? And we want to say happy birthday to Bilt Bar too, Pilsy. It's their two-year anniversary, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Bilt Bar com. We need Pilsy's pick of the week. My pick of the week this time, it's a kind of a different flavor. It's one of the fruit flavors, guys. Whoa. Cherry Barcia. So you get that nice dark chocolate taste and then with the cherries mixed in there, 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. That's a nice flavor for this week. I like something a little heavier than a Cherry Garcia. I respect it. And if we got a, a pack of Built Bars, which we could at BuiltBar.com. We just put in promo code locked on, and we'd get $10 off, Pilsy. But I like something a little bit richer, like the mint brownie. But when I look at a mint brownie protein bar, I think, man, I'm probably going to have to add a couple calories. That's fine. I love it so much. But then I turn around my Built Bar, and I see on the back 15 grams of protein, but only 110 calories. Huh? That's the same as like one Reese's Buttercup. Like I did so, you don't want to give away your workout for nothing. And with Built Bar, you don't have to. You actually supplement your workout and you finish feeling fit and strong. So go to BuiltBar.com, wish them a happy birthday. And then on your checkout, put in promo code locked on and it'll get you $10 off your next order of Built Bars. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat. I mentioned that they're high in protein and low in calories. Well, they also have low sugar, but high fiber. They're everything you want in a protein bar, and it's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. That's BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKEDON, BuiltBar.com. 
All right, Pilsy, had a great time chatting with J.D. Burke. So I think without further ado, we should send it over to part one of our two-part interview with Elite Prospects Draft Guide co-editor-in-chief, J.D. Burke. We now welcome on a very special guest. He's an editor at Elite Prospects, focusing on the NHL draft and prospects for EP Rinkside, and co-hosts the Elite Prospects Draft Podcast with friend of the show, Craig Button. J.D. Burke, thanks for joining us on the Lockdown Senators podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's kind of funny. I found myself on a variety of different Locked On podcasts recently because I'm I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but my roommate Justin Morissette is uh, actually the one who does Locked On Canucks. Happy to spread my wings and travel east this go around. Hey, didn't realize that you guys were roommates. We uh, we heard his story recently, and anyone who hasn't, make sure you go check that out. Great guy, and and we're wishing him a speedy recovery as well. So hope he's doing well. And uh, you must be exhausted too. You've been putting in hours and hours. The Elite Prospects Draft Guide dropped today. 129 players with game reports from Lafreniere to Hunter McCown. There's plenty of insight game reports. But as a Sens podcast and as Sens fans, so much focus in the top five with Ottawa having two of those picks. And we've been hearing the same sort of names. And, well, one was absent in the top five in your draft guide. So I'm giving you an opportunity right off the bat to defend yourself. Where is Tim Stutzla? Yeah, so I actually felt pretty damn guilty about this one, the uh, the lack of inclusion of Tim Stutzla in the uh, top five. I don't know if you guys listened, but we had him on the uh, – the first episode of the Elite Prospects podcast with myself and Craig Button. And it seems like every hockey player to come out of Germany is just the biggest sweetheart, but he was like that times 12, you know? And it was like, oh man, maybe I screwed up. Maybe actually he's first overall. But uh, the thing that kind of kept him out of our top five was that, I mean, like, here's the thing. There, there are a lot of red flags with his game. And, and there are a lot more red flags with Tim Stutzla's game than there are with, frankly, any other prospect inside of our top 10. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm trying to take away from from his absurd ceiling, his through-the-roof puck skills, his ability to distribute. Uh, he's a phenomenal skater. We all think the world of Tim Stutzla. I don't think he would be in our top 10 otherwise. But there are some issues that we've seen, some kind of telling signs that he's not perhaps as pro-ready as some take credit or some would like to believe. And, you know, for us, it's it's the really advanced stuff, right? It's, it's does he have much of a gravitational pull as a playmaker? By that, we mean, does he wield his speed, his hands to take away defenders from uh, soft ice so that he can distribute to his teammates? And the answer for us was consistently no. Uh, was he willing to play through the middle of the ice? Uh, this was a big time no for the majority of the season. And and these are things that really hinder a player's ability to produce at the next level. I think playing in Germany, another thing that's really kind of stuck out for us is we don't know what he's going to look like when he plays in a more structured environment because, I mean, there's about four or five good teams in the DEL. And, and he's on one of them. He's on the best of them all in Adler Mannheim, right? So it's not the most competitive environment for somebody who would, we would expect to be a top five pick. And how is he going to respond when he plays in a league where there's such a thing as back pressure, when there's a league with much more structure? Uh, you know, he's not doing a, a good enough job creating space for his line mates uh, on the bigger surface with the more accommodating competition already. So 
you know, these are the things that we look for. And, and frankly, it was just at a level that we couldn't quite, what's what I'm looking for, countenance with a top five pick. I mean, you know, he's got great hands, but he also has a tendency to overhandle the puck and take himself away from obvious passing or shooting options. You know, it's, it's everything looks great on the surface, but then once you peek under the hood, there are some issues that he's going to need to work out. Now, the one counter to that would be and Craig Button makes this point, it's a well-made point at that, those are mostly developmental flaws. They're not inherent flaws, which means that they can be taught. Uh, there are elements of the game that you can coach into a player, right? We say that hockey sense can't be taught. Well, he's got the offensive instincts. What he doesn't have are the offensive habits necessary to produce in a professional NHL environment. And I think that, frankly, it, it you know, I, I have him on my board higher a bit than than we do on the elite prospects board, probably closer to sixth and eighth. But I think we're pretty confident where we have him considering uh, all the red flags that arose for us over the course of the season. And the really interesting thing was no matter how many sets of eyes we got on Tim Stutzla, uh, you know, and, and of course you have to be wary of groupthink when something like this happens, but no matter how many eyes we put on Stutzla, uh, it was a lot of the same problems, a lot of overhandling the puck, uh, a lot of fear of the center lane of the offensive zone and an inability to create space for his line mates. So that's why we put him at eight. And uh, hopefully that doesn't look too uh, too bad in the next few years here because we're really sticking our necks out on that one. Yeah, JD, I, uh, I tend to agree with you on a lot of those points. Uh, I'm probably lower on Stutzla than uh, uh, my co-host Ross and uh, most of the industry as well. He took some heat because he called him a 40 to 60 point player at his ceiling. So we had to call him out on that. I don't know if I'd go that far. Like, I think that he, you know, he can be like a a 50 point player pretty regularly. I don't know if he can hit his ceiling, but if he does, I mean, his ceiling would be pretty special. You know, I I think Craig Button made a pretty interesting comparison on our podcast. It was uh, Matt Barzell, I think, was the player that he compared him to. And, uh, you know, I could, I could see a scenario where he carves out a pretty similar career. I'm less bullish on his ability to play the middle of the ice, but I mean, I'm in Vancouver. I should know better than anyone that these things happen. I mean, Elias Pettersson, uh, in his draft year, in his draft plus one year, he must've played barely a quarter of his shifts at center. And next thing you know, he comes to the NHL and he's a top 10 center off the hop. So go figure. (laughs) That's my way of hedging on the possibility that he does play down the middle. But I I think his upside is a bit higher than that, certainly. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't want to get all negative on Stutzla because he's a fantastic player. Um, I listened to the interview you referenced in your podcast with Stutzla and I would agree with you. He's definitely a very polite, very uh, well-mannered guy. And you said that after your chat with him that you kind of wish you put him up a little higher in your rankings. What was it uh, specifically about that chat with him that you're a guy that you've been following these prospects for months and then simply a uh, discussion with him kind of changed your mind a little bit. What was it specifically that did that? And how much do NHL teams take into account when they do uh, these Zoom meetings, especially in uh, COVID times, you're not able to meet with a player one-on-one as easily. How important are these kind of Zoom video meetings for these prospects? So they're very important for NHL teams, but uh, I would caution against, um, and this is my fault for not clarifying, I suppose, but I would caution against looking too much into what I said about the interview and that making me change my board. It, literally, it was just a comment on how much I enjoyed talking with him. <laughs> he didn't actually really change his position as a prospect for me. But uh, you know what? These meetings matter a lot. I mean, we, we consulted with one team 
you know, I won't give away the, I won't spill the tea as it were, because I'd get in a lot of trouble if I did, but there's a, a goaltender, you know, in the OHL who, who's probably like a fourth or fifth or sixth round talent at the very least. And I'm hearing he's probably not going to get drafted because of, um, because of just completely bombing the interviews. And there's another player in the USHL. I mean, there's a bit more going on there. Again, I can't spill the tea entirely. <laughs> Who knows? He might be an Ottawa Senators pick the way they love to pick players where Melnick doesn't have to pay the transfer fee, but uh, <laughs> where he's probably like an early first round or sorry, early second round talent, but because he's failing the interviews so thoroughly, it's like this guy could drop all the way to the fifth or sixth round and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. So it, it definitely means a lot to the teams. Uh, I don't know if, if Stutzla's interview meant a lot to, to me in a realistic sense, but it's just nice to, to talk to him. I mean, these, these European kids, it's so funny when you think about hockey stereotypes. I, I've interviewed a lot, of, a lot of players for the draft. I've interviewed a lot of, uh, you know, 18-year-olds, right? And I think about myself at 18 and how much I sucked. Uh, and you know, like it's always the European kids who I enjoy talking to the most. It's, it's really funny when you consider all the outdated, uh, ways that we kind of view character, et cetera, in hockey, basically to be the burly stoic Canadian. And it's like, oh no, these European kids are way cooler, way more interesting, way more fun to talk to. Way more style as well off the ice. Typically, you always see the Swedes coming in looking sharp. Speaking of Swedes, I want to get into who you have at number three. I also want to ask about a couple of tiers. What wouldn't a good podcast be without disagreement? And I look at your list and then I look at Craig Button's list. And that Swede that I want to talk about, Lucas Raymond, you guys have him at three. Whereas when we talked to Craig Button, it was more so he said the players ahead of him that he just liked that much more, but he had him all the way down at nine in his March rankings mm-hmm. on his Craig's list. So what is it to you that makes Lucas Raymond such a special can't miss talent? Well, I, I think, and, and I've kind of, you know, coalesced around this talking point is just, he's the most complete winger in the draft. Uh, you know, plain and simple. He's not the best winger. Uh, I'm not taking him ahead of Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, but I think he's closer to Alexi Lafreniere than than anybody after him. Anybody at four, five, six, seven, eight. Like there really aren't any holes in Lucas Raymond's game. Uh, it's just that simple. You want a playmaker, he'll do it. You want somebody who can attack through the center of the ice, he'll do it. You want somebody who's proven they can hold down a two-way role and can muck it up. And if that's what the coach needs of them, they're gonna they're gonna put in those those minutes and they're gonna dig their their way through uh, the trenches and. And that's Lucas Raymond. And he's got such a refined way of approaching the game too, right? Like he, he skates through his shots. He skates through his passes. Like these are really advanced habits for an 18-year-old. And he's probably got a better, a better habit for creating space for his line mates as a winger than, than we've seen from Tim Stutzla, who's been a center up to this point in his career, right? So uh, he's an advanced playmaker. He's got an advanced shot. Uh, an advanced two-way game, and and frankly, his hands are are really really high end too. I think that I think that frankly, this could end up being a situation where ten years down the road, we go, how the hell did Lucas Raymond drop like that? And then a lot of people are going to be saying, well, he played fourth line minutes on the SHL's deepest forward team, right? And the extent to which that's being held against him, I think consciously or subconsciously, and I'm not accusing Craig of doing this. I mean, Craig's unimpeachable as an analyst, right? Like you can disagree with him, but he he puts in the work, right? Like you, you know what? There are a lot of people 
who have the means to be at the rink who aren't, Craig Button isn't one of those people. So if that's what he believes about Lucas Raymond, he's got every right and every reason to feel that way. But in my mind, he is going to be one of, if not, like he's in that Raymond tier for us. Him, Byfield, and Raymond are the first tier at elite prospects. And, and I think that if given the time and, and given the space and the opportunity to grow and prove that, uh, Lucas Raymond's going to make us look really good in the future because the talent's always been there. The ice time wasn't this year, but that's not always going to be the case. And once he gets that opportunity, he's going to fly. So you mentioned the first tier. So you have one, two, three in there. Where would you draw the end of the second tier? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think that the second tier probably ends uh, right at, at probably Yaroslav Askarov. So going Marco Rossi, Jamie Drysdale, Alexander Holtz, Cole Perfetti, Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson, Anton Lundell, and then Yaroslav Askarov. That would probably be my second tier. I, I think there's some really good potential within that group, right? And they're all so closely packed. And this is something Craig says all the time. Uh, you know, as long as you have players in the right tier, then then you can kind of, they, they can be interchangeable, dependent on your team's need, uh, dependent on, on one scout's argument or enthusiasm one way or the other. I mean, like... I'm just looking at this group right now. You could rearrange it, you know, pretty much three different ways. And I'd be like, yeah, good enough for me. You know what I mean? It's, I I won't be surprised if any one of those players becomes the fourth best in this draft. Do you know what I mean? Like that entire group is so tightly knit, you know, it's, it's, you look at Alexander Holtz, his potential is through the roof. I mean, he's got the best shot in this class and uh, really just huge development this year. And if you talk to people within the NHL, they rave about Alexander Holtz. Like they love this kid. Like they will go to the mat for Alexander Holtz because uh, super humble, uh, works his ass off. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but uh, his development from October to March might've been the most that we saw from anybody in this uh, top 10, right? And and I really strongly believe that. Like he's not going to win a Selkie, but is he at a point now where he might be able to hang defensively in the NHL uh, in the future? sure sure and he's proven that he's going to put in the work to get there if he isn't there already I mean Cole Perfetti he he came into the year as the second best finisher uh now he's one of its best playmakers too go figure uh Jake Sanderson just completely uh improved every facet of his game it's like every time we watch Jake Sanderson from October through November December March like every time he was better than the last viewing uh, you know, and, and I really think that a lot of people like Jake Sanderson is a very interesting Rorschach test for this draft. He's going to go in the top 10 and some analytics savvy fan base is going to be very upset with that pick for absolutely no particular reason. The transition data that Mitch Brown tracked, Jake Sanderson is the best player in his data set over a five-year sample. Uh, we, we had a scouts poll at elite prospects, like best hitter, best neutral zone defender, you know, trying to spice it up, make it a little fun, right? Like give out these little awards or whatever. We jokingly called it the Jake Sanderson poll because he was applicable for every category. Like this is a player with absolutely no holes in his game. Would we have liked to see more offensively from him? Sure, fine. I, I've got time for that. But the the thing people don't really take into account with Jake Sanderson is when you're playing on the, the national team development program, they're rolling these blue liners, one through four, through five, through six, like there's no number one defenseman, which means that he's not getting the ice time or opportunities that a Jamie Drysdale is. And, you know, I, I hate to be mean, but the, the forwards this year on the, the national team development program were not good. Like just, I, I'm sorry. There are so many questions I have about that group. 
about the way they were deployed. Like to me, it's a miracle. Well, maybe not a miracle, but to me it's to Sanderson's credit that he produced as much as he did in that situation. And so I think when you adjust for context, like every player in that second tier is a, is a rightful claim to fourth overall. And, and frankly, it's going to be one of the funner parts of the draft to watch play out. Stay tuned to tomorrow's episode of the Locked On Senators podcast for part two. We continue on with our draft talk and get into his deep dive into the play of Eric Branstrom, who, by the way, turned 21 today. So, Pilsy, we've got two birthdays. We've got Bilt Bar and Eric Branstrom, 21 years old. Wow, they grew up so fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, two very similar things, Built Bar and Eric Branstrom, but we love them both here on the Locked On Senators podcast. Happy birthday. So we're so much talk going on in the draft. Of course, that's the crown jewel of the Eric Carlson trade, but Josh Norris, Rookie of the Year, go have your say on our poll on Send Central on Twitter where we ask, who is more likely of the two top center prospects in the organization right now to get an opening day roster spot? Josh Norris or Logan Brown? Where do you sit on that one, Pilsy? Well, I was one of the first voters. Uh, that's that's one of the benefits of knowing when the poll is going to be put out. And I think I'm gonna probably going to be on the wrong side of the poll here again. But I'm going to plead my case. And I think it should be Logan Brown. Here's the thing with this kind of question. Sure, Josh Norris had an absolutely amazing season. AHL Rookie of the Year. 30 goals, 30 assists something like that. He was just absolutely incredible. And he he probably could play in the NHL. But what's the rush with a guy like Josh Norris? It was his first season in the AHL. The Senators aren't a con- contending team next season. Why rush him into an NHL spot? Let him stay in Belleville, work on uh, some chemistry with the other prospects, keep his confidence high. But a guy who I think you got to give more of a look at the NHL level is Logan Brown. Sure, he got 23 games uh, last season, but most of that was at the start of the year. He wasn't really himself, and I think after another good season in Belleville for Logan Brown, he's going to be coming up and feeling confident, and he kind of knows the clock is ticking here for him. There's no benefit to keeping Logan Brown in, in Belleville now. He's proved he can do it in Belleville, and he needs a shot in the NHL. We talked about how we like Jace Howerluck and Nick Paul in that fourth line. Why not have Logan Brown start, at least start the season in between those two guys so that he's a little bit sheltered and he's not getting thrown out there against heavier lines? And we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I don't know about fourth line duties, but I do want to see Logan Brown in the National Hockey League. I'd rather have a guy like Artem Anisimov or um, or even, no, probably not Tierney, but there's a lot of guys who Tierney's even... the number one center right now. Stop it. Stop it. We'll we'll see what shakes out with his contract as well. That's a situation that's ongoing. But yeah, Logan Brown averaging 11 minutes like he did last season. That's not going to cut it for me. I need to see him get a, a healthy dose of ice time with good players and then we'll be able to judge him. So we're all in agreement that Josh Norris can spend one more year in the AHL, whereas Rudy Balser's the other part of the Carlson trade. He was almost assigned to Riga, which is the Latvian KHL team. The Senators had a change of heart 
at the end of the day. I wonder if injury may be the only factor. But as we keep seeing prospects getting assigned, I'm a little perplexed by it. I don't really understand it. Maybe we'll get into that more on the Lockdown Senators podcast tomorrow. But for now, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the J.D. Burke part one interview. As I mentioned, part two will be tomorrow. We'll also continue. Our, we'll get Pillsy's thoughts on Rudy Balser's unassignment, we'll call it, to the KHL. And... Whatever happens in the Colorado Avalanche game. What For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked on Senators podcast, your team every day.